Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, I am very pleased today to uh, have a present to you a very special guest. His name is Preston Dennett. This guy has been researching UFOs since the 1980s. He's he had written 30 books. Uh, has a has a great YouTube channel. Of, of course, I've talked about his YouTube channel before on the podcast uh, several times. I highly recommend it. And of course, links to it. Uh, to his Amazon page, where you could find all his books, as well as his YouTube channel, will be listed in, uh, in the description for this uh, podcast. And anyhow, before we get going and start talking to Preston about everything, let's just—I I, want to read through his biography here, so you know uh, who this guy is. Okay, Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and coworkers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. <clears throat> he is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of, well, it says 29 books here, but I was just informed that it's up to 30 now, <laughs> uh, and, and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, French, Italian, Portuguese, Russian, and Icelandic. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, including Coast to Coast and the History Channel's Deep Sea UFOs and UFO Hunters. His research has been presented in the LA Times, the LA Daily News, the Dallas Morning News, and other newspapers. He has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. In addition to writing true nonfiction books about UFOs and the paranormal, Preston Dennett is also an award-winning science fiction writer. He has sold 40 speculative fiction stories to such markets as Andromeda Spaceways, Bards and Sages, Cast of Wonders, Daily Science Fiction, Grievous Angel, Perhelion, Sci-Fi Journal, Stupefying Stories, T. Gene Davis's speculative blog, and many others, including several anthologies. After earning 12 honorable mentions, he won second place in quarter one, 2018, of the Writers of the Future contest. He so there we go. Uh, that's his. Uh, that's his biography. That's quite a resume. Uh, I wish uh, I'm, I'm pretty jealous. I mean, I've been I'm interested in this subject, but I didn't write uh, any any books on this on this subject. I. Uh, and uh, also, I never, I, I didn't talk to as many people as you obviously have. Uh, after watching a lot of your videos on YouTube, you, you've done a lot of investigating over the years, Preston, and it's very impressive, actually. And uh, I guess I just want to start right off here with a question: uh, yeah. what, What's what's going on with this uh, with this cover up? I mean, are we ever going to see the end of this? I mean, is this is ever coming to an end. I mean, I'm I'm tired of it. I'm I'm frustrated. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is, are we getting there or is, what's been going on? Some, it seems like for the last five years, something's we're getting close to it, but then, it, then they seem to pull the rug out from underneath. Well, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not sure we ever will see the end. Honestly, I got involved in this field in the late 1980s, as you mentioned, and there was talk then of disclosure and the cover up ending. And of course it never did. And yeah, there's been baby steps forward, especially recently. I mean, there's been some significant, you know, admissions, I guess, by the Pentagon and so forth. And yeah, it's being talked about on 60 Minutes in the news. And it is getting more mainstream for sure. 
But no, I don't think our governments are ever going to fully disclose what they know. Certainly not voluntarily. I really I just don't trust them. They've lied forever. But I will say this is a real subject. This is really happening. It's true. It's really hard to hide the truth forever. And I just cannot see this being forever covered up. Sooner, it's inevitable at some point that it all comes spilling out. Uh, so I don't know that our governments will ever do it voluntarily. And I think what we're seeing now is probably not so voluntary <laughs> in terms of them, you know, making these admissions because my feeling is if they don't, they're gonna lose all relevance, all credibility. People will no longer look to them for answers. And I don't think we should, but that's the last thing they want is, you know, people not to believe them. So yeah, I'm kind of of two minds about it, but really, no, I don't trust them. I don't trust them even a little bit, not anymore. Sorry, too many lies. Well, uh, I mean, what, what do you think it's going to take? Is it going to take another, like at this point, a Phoenix Lights kind of incident? Is that what's going to happen? Is that is that what needs to happen for this to finally break? Uh, is, would that would that would we even get all the answers if that were something like that were to happen? They'd have to admit something, right? I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, if something like the Phoenix Lights were to happen today, it would be a different story for sure, because that was what, 1996, I think? 97. Um, yeah, and we didn't really have cell phones in large numbers like we do now. But if that were to happen today, <laughs> it would definitely be a different story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think something like that could absolutely be a huge disclosure event. Uh, and it would be impossible to cover up. I mean, it just wouldn't be able to happen. So we'll see. But <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm sure you're like me, where you're, you're frustrated about this. The fact that they're, they're sitting on, they're obviously sitting on, on uh, data, on fact, on there there have been recoveries, there have been crash recoveries, yeah. and there's, they, they know stuff that we don't know. And, and that's what bothers me about this is that they do have some data on this. They have to. There's things out there that we just don't understand that they might have a better grasp on because if you're recovering bodies and craft, there's something they could tell us. I mean, so I'm sure this has to frustrate you to no end as, as it does a lot of exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. The very best evidence we have would be the craft, the bodies. And we know they have them. <laughs> it's not just Roswell. Roswell is the granddaddy of all cases. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that that was a craft. But, you know, there's so many others. The Paradise Valley crash, the Aztec crash, you know, Kecksburg. I could go on. If, if you look at the reports of crash retrievals, it's not just a couple. <laughs> it's not even dozens. It's far more than that. Scores of these incidents all over the world. The, it's like the Leonard Stringfield had that. Uh, re there was the reporting that he he did in, uh, when he was alive on on the crash retrievals. I think it was over a hundred that he. I'm certain it was over a hundred that he had. Uh, and and uh, he, like like uh, some people you pointed out is that if just one of them was true, uh, I think it was you who pointed it out. Somebody, I'm, I'm that if one of them is 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 real, then that means. Game over. <laughs> Game over. I mean, that's it. And I oh, think oh, I think Roswell's definitely real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly frustrating uh, to hear, you know, the the guys at the Congressional Disclosure Daily and Moultrie, the two head defense guys, saying, "Well, no, we've never shot at them. That's a lie, demonstrable." 
Roswell, those are rumors. Oh, really? Rumors? We've never heard of Malmstrom? How, and you're the, the head of defense, and you've never heard of the Malmstrom incident in Montana, which anyone who's into UFOs has certainly heard of. <laughs> yeah, that was a night. Just so for people who's not aware, that's a 1967 incident where a, a giant flying saucer just was hovering over the Malmstrom nuclear silo in Montana and shut down all the nuclear bombs, basically. Right. And yeah, the, mis the missiles, right. The missiles. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just not credible to me that they don't know about that. I mean, anyone who picked up one UFO book could have spoken more intelligibly about the subject than they did. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and yeah, they have not only the craft and the bodies, but excellent films and photographs. And what did they show us? This tiny little white dot that could have been a balloon. It took them 10 minutes to stop frame. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, when uh, it, it regarding the, I mean, I guess you remember 1997. That was a big year to 50th anniversary of uh, Roswell. I remember this very well. I remember. Uh, when the Air Force came out with that Roswell report case closed, uh, when they, <laughs> yeah. they said it was dummies, and I remember there was uh, there was on the news there was press conference with some got some guy from the Air Force, and I remember sitting there. I was actually in a bar room actually watching that, and uh, and it was just so ridiculous. And but yet the media, like how how do you view that when the media just stands there and just they don't ask any questions. I mean, it's almost like, I don't know, are they complicit? Are they stupid? I mean, what, what's going on with the mainstream press out with this? I mean, I, I, are they working with the Pentagon? I mean, I don't understand. Like, how could there not be one brain amongst them, it seems, like, for all this time? <laughs> yeah, well, you said the magic word there, which was exactly what I was thinking, complicit. Yeah, there is a media cover-up. Uh, we know this. I, I think there was an author who wrote a book called The Missing Times. I forget his first name, but his last name was Hansen. And uh, he pretty much proved it, that our media is absolutely complicit in covering this up. And every now and then, you know, at least once a year, I'd say there's a report that just kind of slips through or has so many witnesses that it at least makes the local news. And we're seeing that more uh, now that this subject is going somewhat mainstream. But yeah, <laughs> the best evidence gets covered up. And yeah, the, and yeah. the media just, they don't do anything. They never really ask any questions. And that's, I find that's just so frustrating. There's no hard questions. It's like they've never done any research. They never, they never, they themselves never picked up a book. I mean, you would think that they could pick up a book by like you or anybody, Richard Dolan, people who have actually researched this and, and look at it and look at the evidence that's been compiled by other researchers and figure things out for themselves. I think they would understand. Anybody who would read some of these books would understand pretty quickly within you know it wouldn't take long i mean there's the information's been researched they would yeah. understand and but yet they're not doing that I, I don't get it like so i again i don't know if it's stupidity or complicity or or, or if the people at the top of these media empires are you know making this happen actually telling their reporters not to look into it i don't know what do you i don't know is that what do you think is it yeah i think they're basically all of that it is partially stupidity <laughs> or ignorance i should say <laughs> Uh, partially, I think it's just flat out. Yeah, this is these are the rules and you will not break them. I mean, we know that's true. There was a case that I remember researching for my book, UFOs Over New York. Uh, I didn't personally research it, but the guy, there was a group of newsmen who saw a UFO right outside their window. And they all saw it. They wrote up a story and it was quashed immediately. They would not publish it, even though they all saw it. And this is a good example. And there's many, many of them, hundreds 
like this, where perfectly good news stories with lots of evidence never see the light of day. Uh, yeah, it's intentionally covered up. There's no doubt about this. The cover-up is no joke. People have lost their lives, their jobs, uh, been threatened. There was a guy, Dr. Robert Jacobs, I think it was the name, uh, he witnessed a UFO um, going alongside a missile at Vandenberg Air Force Base, filmed it, and he was threatened. They blew up his mailbox, he got threatening phone calls, he was told by his superior never to discuss it, uh, but he did. They found his superior, actually, investigators did, Major Mansman, and interviewed him. He was on his deathbed, and he's like, yep, it's all true. <laughs> Everything that you're saying is true. This did happen. So, yeah, the cover-up is deliberate. It's demonstrable. It's not speculation by any means. It's been proven over and over again with documents released from the Freedom of Information Act. It's, it's definitely serious stuff. Why do you think there, why, why is there a cover-up? What's the reason? Is it weapons? Is it fear? Is it the fear of panic? Or what do you think the main reason is? Um, I don't think that it's fear that the public will panic. You know, we've certainly handled all kinds of stuff. And I think we would take this right in stride. So that's, to me, an excuse. Uh, people point to like the War of the Worlds broadcast and how people panicked. Well, that's not a good example. That's fiction for one thing and it was specifically designed to be scary. Uh, and just not a good example of, I think, how people would react. I think ultimately what it comes down to is a number of things. Uh, the cover-up was enacted very early, you know, around the Roswell times, and that's been the policy from day one. So it's kind of hard to extricate yourself out of that. They've painted themselves into a corner. But ultimately, I think it comes down to power and greed and yeah i think they are scared honestly the government folks the secret government i guess would be a better way of putting it uh, because i think there are probably a lot of good people in government well at least some <laughs> uh but yeah the cover-up ultimately i think comes down to greed and power and control over the masses our governments have never really had our best interests in mind I hate to say it, but you can even go out of the UFO field into different subjects and see how badly they've treated people. And I've got specific examples of, you know, them irradiating soldiers or feeding people hallucinogenics or giving them venereal diseases. And it just goes down the line. Uh, they do not look upon people as, you know, <laughs> the same way as they look upon themselves, I guess would be a, a good way of putting it. They are power-hungry, greedy uh, people. It's really unfortunate. They're in power and they'll do anything to remain in power. And that includes covering up this subject no matter what it takes. They're ruthless about it. Speaking of that, like uh, we were talking about threats here that people get sometimes. Uh, what's your opinion on, on men in black? Is that are, are these government were these government agents or is or or are they aliens or is it a combination what's your feeling on that yeah i think we're talking about two different things here um, because there's the men in black which i think was initially reported on by john keel and other early researchers involving human looking figures which aren't what we would think of as government agents uh, because these guys are driving 
black Cadillacs that disappear. Um, they are very peculiar looking, um, robotic in their speech, uh, seem to have knowledge that a normal person wouldn't have in terms of when a UFO incident occurs and someone has hard evidence, they show up unannounced. Uh, and no one has even shared this information. These, you know, I don't have really any men in black cases of that kind, one, maybe two. So it's hard for me to speak to it. I've certainly read the books on it. Uh, but I think what a lot of people think of when they think of men in black is more the, you know, like the movie men in black government agents who work for the secret government and are basically covering up evidence and going around and investigating cases where there is hard evidence and like the other guys will take it. Um, a good example, I think, would be the Rex Heflin case in Santa Ana, yeah, uh, where he got those great photographs and government agents showed up and took them, the negatives. It's a great yeah. photographic case that's never been disproven. Some of the best photographs in California, certainly. Uh, but yeah, he had people show up. There was another case that I found out about when doing research for schoolyard UFO encounters. I wrote a book on, because there was a hundred cases. <laughs> but, th but there was a guy, a police officer, who filmed UFOs at the Sacred Heart Elementary School in Moline, Illinois. And back then, that was the 60s, there wa wasn't a whole lot of great film footage in the public arena. But he caught like 30 seconds of this UFO as it moved off over the schoolyard. And I found the footage online. I looked at it. And by today's standards, it's just <laughs> a little light in the sky. It's, I mean, it's really nothing big. Uh, but he had government agents show up. They refused to identify what intelligence agency they were from, were very interested in the film, did everything they could to get it. Uh, and this was a good case investigated by S Stringfield, as a matter of fact, and some of the other major researchers at that time. I, you know, in a recent podcast, I re I threw out this, uh, basically, I would say it's an insane, insane speculation. I don't know how else we would describe it, but uh, that, like, we were talking about the cover-up. What if the cover-up is something that's being forced by the aliens themselves? I mean, it seems like they want to be secretive, for the most part, with whatever they're up to here. And and what if, like, when people, I, I, I don't know what you think of this, and maybe you've you've thought about this before. What if when these crash retrievals are actually setups, they're basically... Uh, staged by the aliens and then they, they want to find out who's in charge in certain parts of the world and then they wait till they get, get, get the, the material gets in the in the hands of the people who are in charge and then through somewhere in that material there's something that could take control of certain people somehow is that something to even consider or i because I, I, I can't i don't know i just don't know what's going on we just we're so in the dark and you just all we could do is sit here and speculate and sometimes it's wild speculation like that what do you think about something like that yeah, I think I think it's wild speculation, <laughs> and I, I get it. I mean, we have to consider all possibilities, but we also have to consider the, the fact that there is disinformation and misinformation and a cover-up. Uh, no, I don't think there's any evidence that UFOs are gifted to us uh, and that these crashes are intentional events whatsoever. I would point to one really well-known although fairly controversial event, which is the landing at Edwards Air Force Base, Eisenhower and the meeting and all that. Because uh, if you look into that, there's quite a bit of corroborating evidence supporting it. Most researchers who've looked into it are come away convinced. 
certainly I am convinced that something happened there. And from what I understand, the ETs did urge our governments to disclose, and we did not want to do it. Uh, I think the ETs, yeah, they could come down and absolutely show themselves. And the fact is they do, and they have, and have been from the beginning put on what researchers call displays. Uh, a biologist from Utah, Frank Salisbury, was the first to coin that phrase, as far as I know when he wrote his book, The Utah UFO Display, because they would come down and put on a show for small groups of people, sometimes individually, sometimes large groups of people. I mean, we see this with the UFO waves, and there's a bunch of them uh, throughout history. 1947 was a huge super wave which swept across the US and the world. And the evidence from that year alone is enough really to constitute disclosure. ETs have disclosed. Um, you could just look at the, the schoolyard UFO cases, the drive-in movie theater cases. There's a hundred of them. UFOs are putting on displays and they are showing themselves. Yes, they could come down and stay there and completely freak out the world governments, but uh, I don't think that's their intention. I think they are um, have more respect than that, I guess, would be one way of putting it. Um, it's kind of up to us to come to the reality or the acceptance of their presence, because they have disclosed. They've given us enough evidence, for sure. Anyone who looks into this will absolutely come away convinced. If you're a UFO skeptic, I'm sorry, you haven't done your homework. I don't mean to be rude about it, but you just haven't. <laughs> the evidence is there. It really is. Uh, and uh, it's our own fault that we don't have open official contact. And if you talk to the contactees, because that's where I've done most of my research, is really focusing on people who've had direct contact. They've been told all this. They've been told that really the barriers to open official contact is us, our warlike ways, our destruction of the environment, the way we treat each other, uh, the nuclear proliferation, all the horrible things, our inability to elect leaders who are truthful and transparent and forthcoming <laughs> with this subject and frankly, any other subject. Uh, so it's on us, really. Uh, that's my assessment of what's going on here. So you, you don't believe that there's, uh, like some people I, I, I talk to, I, I and, and some of the research suggests that that there's nefarious purposes behind some of these visits. Like, for instance, if you read any of the books by David Jacobs, he talks to the what well, he's come to the conclusion that there's some sort of a hybridization program ongoing, and at some point there's going to be a change. I mean, that's you know, I'm sure I know I'm certain that you've read these things. And, and, and what's your feeling on? Is, I mean, are there are there good aliens? Are there bad aliens? Or is it is it all is it a mix? Uh, this is a very controversial subject. And, and uh, I certainly don't want to offend anyone who feels like they've had a negative encounter. But having interviewed hundreds of people and really scoured the literature, and certainly I've read David Jacobs' books, which are a bit of an outlier, frankly, uh, because very few researchers have come to the conclusion he has. Uh, yeah, there's a hybridization going on. I don't, it's always been going on. Uh, ETs are very interested in. I believe this is one of the main purposes of onboard experiences is upholding our genetics and healing. 
this is what the onboard experience is all about. Um, honestly, is people are taken on board and healed. This is the subject of my first book. I've re-released it. I have 300 cases, and many are from David Jacobs, which he seems to kind of just gloss over a little bit. Uh, no, I don't think they're here to take over. They're clearly not here to hurt or scare. The first thing ETs will tell anybody they contact, almost without exception, is don't be afraid. Have no fear. No harm will come to you. We're not here to hurt you. And what I would encourage people to do is take an objective look, whether you're an experiencer or a researcher or just interested in this, look at what the contactees say happens to them. Because, uh, yeah, they're physically examined. And that can be very scary. And this is where I think we get a lot of the bad rap from ETs. Because people are freaking out. They're reacting with panic and fear. When, in fact, the ETs are saying, you know, calm down. Everything's fine. Don't be afraid. They're doing their best. We're very fear-based here. Uh, and it's partly the government cover-up that's doing this. It's partly my labs, you know, fake alien abductions that are terrifying. There, there is a concerted effort here to paint ETs in a bad light. And it's not warranted. Because if you look at what happens when someone's taken on board, follows a very set pattern. They're physically examined, often healed. This is not uncommon at all. 25, 30, up to 50% of contactees report this, possibly more. Uh, but if you don't react in fear, you know, you're not going to be paralyzed. You probably won't have missing time. And you will be given a tour of the craft. This is very common. They take you down to the engine room. They're like, here's how we... You know, here's our power source. We harness the magnetic field lines. You know, we have anti-gravity. They'll take you up to the observation deck. Like, look, there's Earth below. Would you like to see the moon? Would you like to go to Saturn? I've got several cases of this. Even other worlds. They will take you on a tour. No kidding. They will give warnings and messages. And these are not, like, nefarious. They are trying to help. They're warning against excuse me, warning against nuclear proliferation, warning against our warlike ways, warning against destruction of the environment, warning against pollution, against greed and corruption. Those are the main themes that when someone gets a message, that's not negative. This is them trying to help us. They will actually take you up to the control room. I just did a video on this and teach you how to fly the craft. <laughs> it's not as unusual as it sounds. Grant Cameron just put a, out a book profiling dozens of cases. And another thing that is definitely one of their missions, their goals, is to wake us up to our own heritage, to our own abilities. They tell contactees over and over again, you are us, we are you, we are one. And those, that exact phrasing comes up again and again. But people who have the contact experience come away spiritually transformed and they're profoundly psychic it's a two-way street because they will contact people who are psychic naturally but this is a pretty much a hard and fast rule people come away with the ability to heal or precognition past life recall astral projection remote viewing i mean it goes right down the line to physical levitation <laughs> which sounds crazy but but hopkins has cases Jacques Vallée, Whitley Strieber talked about it, Stephen Greer, I could go on, Ray Hernandez.
so this is what I'd like people to just take a look at this. What is actually happening here? Does this sound like this is a negative experience? Yeah, it can be scary. And people will come away from, especially initially, uh, frightened out of their minds. Nightmares, PTSD, locking the doors, can't sleep at night, sleeping with the lights on. But at some point, this is the pattern I always see, they'll be taken on board again. And then by the third or fourth time, they're like, okay, they're not here to eat me. They're not trying to kill me. They healed me. I'm getting a lot out of this. And most people I've talked to, and I'm going to say it's at least 90%. Uh, I mean, it can be a little bit of a mixed bag because there is a lot of fear. Uh, but most feel like this is absolutely benevolent. and They wouldn't trade their experiences for anything, and they want them to continue. There's a small percentage like, no, it's demonic. I hate it. They're evil. And even they describe the same sort of experiences that the people who, you know, everyone's describing the same thing. Sorry, I get really passionate about this. No, no, <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, I'm, I, I just so you know, I mean, there's been a lot of podcasts that I've done where I, I would probably have to categorize them as fear-based because, again, I'm just speculating because, again, our government's keeping everything secret. We don't really know what's going on or why they're here. I mean, I experienced one. Uh, I I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know what it was. Uh, but I guess the thing is, and there are people who... I mean, there's other things, though, uh, for instance, like that you have cattle mutilations. And you also hear some cases of here and there of human mutilations and human sometimes humans disappear. And then some people look at that and, they, well, if, if, and they think that aliens might have been involved in that. Is it possible that some of them are bad or or, or is that not relate alien related, do you think? Or is it not true, maybe? Well, I mean, I'll answer it this way. Look at humans. Um, are humans hostile? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we are. Look at the things we do to each other. We murder, rape, steal, assault, <laughs> lie, cheat, steal. It's just an endless parade of horrible behavior that we do to each other. We're slaughtering each other in very large numbers and still doing it. So are there people out there who are like humans? Probably. I highly doubt that they're traveling interstellar distances. Uh, and would more likely destroy themselves before they even got to that ability. So that's how I would answer it. I'm like, yeah, there probably are some bad people out there. Uh, but as far as being visited here, no, I really don't. I think what we're looking at are a couple of things. One, very fear-based thinking. Two, outright lies, disinformation, not true. Um, third, my labs, actual events that people do experience, which are masquerading as ETs, but are not. Uh, so I think there it's a mud pit out there and trying to get to the truth. And that's what I think honestly is going on. Uh, no, I don't think ETs are here to hurt people. How long have they been around? Longer than we have. How advanced are they? Oh my God. <laughs> incredibly advanced. It would take n so nothing for them to be able to destroy people. What we don't see are aliens coming out and beating people up. And, you know, all the things we do. As far as human mutilations, because pe people are like, ah, oh, you're kind of Pollyanna about this. I'm like, well, hold on a second. That's not true. I do not edit the stories that people come to me with. I, I report them as they experienced them. 
I'm very careful to be objective. It's their experience. They're allowed to interpret it the way they experienced it. And I just don't get these cases. And I looked into the human mutilations and I had to kind of laugh because first of all, there's maybe five or 10 reports of this. Some are coming from researchers who are laughably oh, debunkers or whatever, you know, they mm, don't trust them. Most of the field knows who these guys are and said, no, do not trust these guys. They're not good um, researchers, actually. No, they're the debunkers not. are, that's another, we could talk about debunkers yeah. later. That's another story. Yeah. And the fact is people do mutilate each other. <laughs> I mean, so it's probably, some of these could be people doing it to people or governments for that matter. Cause I do know that there was one that did occur on a military base and that's often lauded as like here, this human mutilation case. I'm like, well, I'm not so sure that this was done by ETs. Uh, and as far as cattle mutilations, I've looked into that. Uh, and uh, just briefly, cause you know, I wrote UFOs over Colorado and UFOs over New Mexico. And both those states are the hardest hit. Uh, they're got a lot of cattle ranchers there. So I looked into it in depth. And by no means a cattle mutilation researcher, but I, I talked to some of the lead guys there and certainly read their stuff. And I'll point to Gabe Valdez, who's no longer with us, but he ultimately came to the conclusion that this was government. And I thought that was interesting because that's what Larry Fawcett said in his book, The UFO Cover-Up. He's like, our government's gonna have to answer to this. It's them doing it. And people were like, hey, it couldn't be them. You know, there's these laser cuts and no blood and we didn't have the technology. Oh yeah, we did. The technology we see is far behind what our military has. And you can talk to anyone who's been in the military and they will confirm this, especially if they're up in intelligence and stuff. So, uh, so you don't think aliens are responsible for any of the cattle mutilations at all? Um, no, I really don't. Um, I don't want to say any at all, but from what I've looked into, <laughs> no, it's not them. And I've talked to contactees. I'll point to one of my favorite contactees. I wrote a book about her, Dolly Safran. Uh, the book is called Symmetry, a True UFO Adventure. And what I like about her case is she doesn't need hypnosis. She woke up to contact, fully conscious contact. And that's pretty rare for people. A lot of them do have fear still and have missing time. And she asked them flat out, what's up with these cattle mutilations? And they said, that's government, that's your government's. That's a part of the fear campaign. We do not do that. I mean, I think about that one case, for instance, there was, uh, I think it was on the West Coast somewhere, it might've been Washington State where there was like 14 forestry workers or something that saw some strange object ho hovering over a herd of elk. And and it, and then picked one up and then flew away with it and MUFON and uh, investigated it and uh, then they found a, a dead elk near the area where this thing flew away from and I mean I don't know I mean it seems like they do take them sometimes I, I'm assuming I mean if you <laughs> it was 14 people oh, yeah. standing there looking at it uh, I mean who knows what they're doing to them and. Uh, so yeah, I guess I they're taking all kinds of animals and people and plants. I, I've written about that in my Not From Here books. You know, the people have been taken on board. And we'll look at uh, the hunter, Carl Higdon from Rawlings, Wyoming. Yeah. 
he was taken on board. He was elk hunting, and there were the elk he was hunting in this little glass enclosure. <laughs> yeah, and she tried to shoot it, and the bullet stopped and fell down, and it was just right. very strange. That's a, that's one of the weirdest cases ever. I, I think that's very strange. There's a lot of weird. Does the a good case? He was healed, by the way. Tuberculosis scars on his lungs and kidney stones. Yeah. Again, more evidence that these ETs are being misportrayed. So uh, you you're saying before, like in a lot of your videos, like you're talking about the drive-ins when they're showing, they're basically putting on a display, like you say. And and it's a, it basically it's a form of letting us know they're here. But I mean, why not if they're if they're doing that? Like, why not? Like you said before, why not? Like, just go on a full display and just get it over with. I mean, I mean, you wonder why are they just continuing to keep it? See, why show some people but not everybody? I guess. I mean, I've seen something, uh, and so many people have seen objects, but yet not everybody. If everybody were to see them, then everybody would believe it. Everybody would know. Like, why not put on a big display and just end it all right there? Well, why the slowness? I mean, I can only speculate. I don't know for sure. I know that contactees have asked about this. And basically, there's an element of the non-interference rule <laughs> uh, and karmic laws. Um, you can't just go and pop someone's bubble. Um, people have to evolve at the pace that they are able to evolve. They have to come. They have to do the work uh, so they can intervene to a degree they can guide they can teach they can heal but they can't take over and do everything for us so we do see these displays and they are regular and it's very interesting to me because yeah just going to the driving theater cases i found a hundred cases and i can tell you that there's probably a thousand more <laughs> because most people don't report and these are involving anywhere from 100 to 400 people a shot. So we're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of people seeing UFOs at driving theaters alone. And that is a pretty concerted camp publicity campaign that they're doing. And we see this with schoolyards too. And, you know, I found 100 cases. Again, you could times that by 100 easy. And what I found so interesting about the schoolyard cases was 50% were at elementary schools which is, you know, of course, our youngest kids and very impressionable and very much like sponges, you know, they've, and no fear, really. They've never even heard the term UFO. And we've all, we've all heard the term, get them while they're young. I mean, it's a very clever way to sort of convince society that UFOs are real. And I think it's been very effective because certainly our younger generations are, have almost a universal belief in UFOs. Uh, it's there's been studies of this. The younger you are, the more likely you are to believe in the subject. Yeah. Uh, the more educated you are, the more likely you are to believe UFOs are real. They are. They're doing that, but they're not going to do it in a way that's going to cause complete social paralysis or our governments to take stupid action and do the wrong thing. Uh, this is my opinion. This is what I've learned based on actual cases so i'm not entirely speculating here there's a lot of researchers out there who are just putting forth absolute nonsense theories based on what i don't know there's only a handful of researchers out there i truly respect because some of them are just what is where'd you come up with that <laughs> like what are you talking about what, what what do you mean like what uh what, what are they what 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 are they saying 
Like I, I um, well, gosh, I hate to name names, but I will. No, say, no, 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 you know the name names. Just what um, the like the twenty and back. I don't know if you've heard of this. Where super soldiers on Mars. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. Think about this. Let's just use basic science. You cannot live on Mars. There's no magnetic field. You could not live there a week. You would fry from the gamma radiation. That cannot be true. You cannot age regress someone. <laughs> I mean, just, I know there's a lot of high strangeness in this field. And when someone reports something that's just beyond bizarre, we'll put it on the back burner and consider it certainly. Uh, but you have to have some basic factual information, correct? And if you look at the contactee accounts, there's so, so many people reporting grays, reporting being physically examined, reporting being healed, reporting the same darn things. And they don't know each other. There are all different cultures, all different ages, all different blood types and ancestries. You can sift out the truth, but by just the sheer consistency and number of reports. And those ones that are just complete outliers, um, I don't fully trust them. I just don't. Um, you know, speaking of the aliens themselves, I mean, you have, of course, the grays. You have the short grays, the tall grays, the the, the insectoids that people see, the sometimes reptilian creatures, the Nordics. How, how many different – from your research, what? how many different kinds are there, do you think? I mean, and, and do you – and also, do you think how many are coming here uh, – uh, are they all on the same team as a part of a federation, perhaps? Or what's your ideas on that? Oof, the federation, that term <laughs> makes my skin crawl. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, federation. I don't know. How you, I don't like it. An alliance. How about an alliance? <laughs> a galactic alliance. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, let me answer it this way. There are we perceive them as a lot of different types, right? I mean, we do see grays of all different looks and short little grays and tall grays and medium sized and tall whites and praying mantis and human looking and all, you know, short little blue beings and um, light beings and cat-like beings and dog-like beings. And I mean, it goes on. So there does seem to be a sort of endless variety of humanoids. And that's an important term there, humanoids, because that's what we see, almost without exception, really without exception. They have arms and legs and a head and eyes. Uh, so we're seeing the humanoid form exclusively. So what does that mean? Uh, well, if you talk to the contactees who have asked about this, and I mentioned this early, uh, the ETs will say, we are you, you are us, we are one. We all share the same genetic heritage. We all have genetics. We're all humanoids. We're all basically human. It just dials out a little differently. And if you look at all life on earth, whether it's a stalk of celery or a chimpanzee or a giraffe or what have you, we share the same genetics to an amazing degree. I mean, we really do. Look into genetics and you'll see this. Uh, so what we're looking at, I think, is really not the variety and people initially perceive. We're seeing something that's very much the same sort of spectrum. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different types of ETs, uh, but they are 
all humanoid. We all share the same heritage. This is what the contactees are being told. Uh, the Greys have told many contactees. I've heard this several times. We looked like you at one point. We've received genetic damage. Uh, and this is why they have, you know, larger eyes and no hair. And They receive genetic damage. Yes. And this is the whole hybrid program. They receive genetic damage. The stories vary a little bit. Some say it's because of previous conflicts. Others say it's because of gamma radiation received from space travel. But ultimately, they are you know, using our genetics to help reinvigorate their race because they've had troubles with uh, reproducing um, and uh, this sort of thing. So yeah, there's, it's a trick question. There's an endless variety, but it's, they're all much more closely related. We're much more alike, really, than different. Uh, so I mean, are they aware of one another? I mean, uh, oh yeah, that's the second part of the question. In terms of a galactic federation, I've never gotten a report of that, by the way, personally, of a contact who says that there is a galactic federation. I did talk to one guy in Australia who asked them flat out, "Is there a galactic federation?" And they said, "Well, not like you think of it. I mean, if you're comfortable calling it that, that's fine. But no, um, they all cooperate. ETs, as a rule." are very psychically evolved. You know, you see greys levitating and moving through walls. This is not pure technology. This is something that they're psychically able to do. Humans can do this, by the way. There are humans on Earth who have all these abilities, enlightened masters, so to speak. But the ETs are telepathic profoundly. This is how all communication is done, almost without exception. There are a few cases of verbal communication, but it's pretty rare. And contactees who are having a lot of experiences often will meet different types of ETs, greys, human looking. That's not unusual. That happened to Travis Walton. That's more the rules than the exception to see different types of ETs, praying mantis, working together. So yeah, I don't think there's any evidence of, gosh, one contactee just made my skin crawl and she's like, the alien gray queen. I'm like, mm, what? <laughs> no, 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 they have no hierarchy. They don't have royalty. They don't have a federalized system of government. I don't see that at all. Uh, so it's all based on cooperation. They're very much scientists. They're tourists. They're doctors. They're you know philanthropists. They're gardeners. They're you know keepers. They're so so instead of a galactic federation, you'd rather a galactic co-op. Yeah, cooperative. cooperative that, that's better. I think that's more, they don't have money. You know, they don't have <laughs> any of the, the things that are really holding our society back. Uh, we're we're never unless we change somehow. We're never going to get to their level, or are we? Uh, well, it might take a billion years, but yeah, I think we can do it. Could we? Okay. <laughs> I do. Well, you know, I'm an idealist. I really am. I'm an optimist, and I think people, given the opportunity in the environment, would give you the shirt off their back are very nice and wouldn't kill you. Uh, but, you know, in the wrong environment, yeah, we're, we're, we're dastardly people. Uh, so I think we really do need to start basing our behavior more on compassion and truth and love and looking within for answers. Don't look to the government for answers. Why would you? They haven't been telling the truth ever. If you want to know the truth about UFOs, look to those who've had the experience. That's where we're getting the information. And if you really want to know the truth, 
you should go out there and see one yourself. That's what I did. I found out these were real. I almost lost my mind. <laughs> I came in this field as a complete skeptic. I, I was absolutely knocked over. It was not. Well, let's good talk either. about that. So, <laughs> when, when did you first have your first encounter? Uh, it was 1992 when I had my first real encounter. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because, you know, I came into this field in 86 when I heard a report on the news. It's a very famous sighting, November 17, 1986. Captain Kenju Chirochi and his crew saw a UFO and it was on radar. It followed their commercial airliner over Alaska. It's a great case. You're asking about cases you know, that would provide absolute proof. That's a good one. And I remember hearing that on the news, which was very tongue-in-cheek and had none of the details, just kind of joked about it, but they did show the pilot, Captain Kendrew Tarochi. I thought, that poor deluded guy, <laughs> what an idiot. He's seen <laughs> a reflection off the ice cap. That's what he's seen. He had highway hypnosis. It wasn't a UFO. Who's he kidding? This is what I was thinking. <laughs> but I remember my brother Mark had said he'd seen a UFO. And I know my brother isn't going to lie to me. So I finally, you know, Went, had the gumption to ask him and listen, and he described this amazing sighting. And that's when I found out that, well, he wasn't the only one. I had two sister-in-laws who had amazing sightings, face-to-face uh, -face encounter with Grays, one of them. I had friends who had missing time encounters, people at work. So you know, 20, 30% of the people I knew were having these encounters. And I thought, wow, oh my God, no, they're not lying, they're not misperceiving, they're not hoaxing. You know, hallucinating. There's got to be another explanation here, and that's what got me to check out the books because I was going to disprove them. I'm like, this is swamp gas. It's got to be. This can't be real. <laughs> and got a huge wake-up call when I found out this is a subject that's been taken very seriously for decades. There is a cover-up. You know, people, many astronomers have seen UFOs. Uh, people of very high 
education. So I kind of started stepping deeper and deeper into this field. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I need to see this myself. I really do. I cannot take this for another second. Okay. <laughs> uh, I just couldn't. I needed to see it because although I knew it was real, I really wanted to know, no true knowledge comes only from experience. And so I was calling people up and like, and they, they said, I saw a UFO last night. I'd be like, can I come over? Can I sleep in your backyard? I want to see this. So I was doing that. And I, a couple of times I saw unexplained lights. It wasn't enough. I'm like, mm, that could have been a shooting star. I remember one time, this was the first real head scratcher was pretty early on 88 or so i went to a ufo meeting and there was a contactee there speaking andy rice i'll never forget it long story short he gave his presentation and said i'm gonna call down a ufo after the presentation if you want to see one i'm like oh this guy's a nut but let's try this and there was 50 people at that presentation and maybe 10 or 15 went out afterwards to see if he could call one down i thought wow do not these people not want to see a UFO? Are they not serious about this? Because this is an opportunity if it's true. And then he's like, okay, let's all get in a circle and hold hands and meditate. I'm like, oh God, this is <laughs> not really what I wanted. You know, I'm very scientifically minded. Um, so I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And so I did. And then he stops and he's like, okay, they're in the area. Hold on a second. And then he points to the sky. Says, so "Look there. I want you to look right in this spot. This is downtown Santa Monica, right outside of L.A. And the light pollution was so bad that you couldn't see a single star, even though it was a clear night. Yeah. And uh, no sooner had he pointed there, maybe 10, 20 seconds passed when this giant shooting star—I'll call it a shooting star—comes <laughs> blazing down. I'm like, whoa, because that was." interesting i'll put it that way and that made me scratch my head a little bit because he pointed at it and it showed up but the real one was 1992 some years later late july i'll never forget it actually because i was at my brother mark's house who'd seen a ufo and his wife she'd seen little blue beings <laughs> when she was a little girl <gasps> um, so, and they were helping me kind of wrap my head around all this and i stayed there late at night and finally i'm like okay i gotta go i gotta work tomorrow and drove home this is in woodland hills uh, outside of la a very dense populated suburb and i just left their house three minutes out not even coming around this hairpin corner at about three miles an hour when i saw what i thought was a bird <laughs> swooping towards my car of course i look up it's like 300 feet up there and it's coming at down at a parabola and i'm like well that's not a bird that must be a firecracker because it was glowing and it was round and small, but it wasn't a firecracker because it came and it stopped right in front of my windshield and it was an orb <laughs> <laughs> about the size of a golf ball, maybe a little bit, yeah. but it was solid. It was sort of this white color, yellow, white, not super bright, totally silent and maybe a two feet away. It goes back and forth back and forth stops again it's like looking at me i'm holding my you know steering wheel going oh my god that's not were a you still was the car still moving no you were no. stopped at this time and it was I just moving back and forth in front of yeah. you no right when it stopped in front of my windshield i stopped too right in the middle of the road it was late at night this was a tiny little street galandrina uh and i'm like huh. 
that's not a reflection. What is this? And yeah, like I said, it moved back and forth and stopped again. I'm like, well, okay now. <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't feel any fear. I'm just fascinated because this is unusual. This is not a firecracker. This is not a bird. This is not anything I can describe as anything, but I don't know. It's not a giant craft, right? It's a little orb. Uh, but it goes forward over the hood of the car and straight up. And I remember leaning over the windshield, you know, the dashboard and looking at this thing as it went up into the canopy of the trees and out into outer space. And boom, I forgot about it. I don't remember anything that happened after that. And I forgot the whole darn incident. <laughs> I completely forgot. Instantly. It was gone out of my mind. I don't remember driving home that night. I really and don't. When did you remember? How? When did you finally remember this then? Four months later, six, just popped into my mind. And it blew me over because, you know, having interviewed people who've had that experience, I'd always say like, what, a UFO landed in front of you on the road and you forgot about it? Are you kidding me? How could you forget that? I'm like, I, I can't explain it. Uh, so now I know. So that was my first, but it certainly wasn't my last. I think I had missing time, honestly. I've never gone hypnosis to prove it. it I kind of am a little wary of that. I think it works. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who've done it, but it's also got controversies surrounding it. I know it works. Uh, I've researched it enough to know, but in the wrong hands, it can cause all kinds of problems, hypnosis. So I've kind of shied away from it. But yeah, that was my first of what would end up being like 20 sightings. Wow, 20 sightings. And that, was it all orbs or was it a variation, a variety? A, a variety, uh, mostly unexplained lights of various kinds, unfortunately, but still really cool. I mean, probably the next really good one was I was transcribing an interview from this lady who had seen grays and had, you know, ET hybrid babies and jumped. I remember actually specifically I was transcribing the interview where she describes grays surrounding her bed. She jumps up and kicks one in the neck and its neck snaps. I thought, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. You know, and I'm thinking, well, Travis Walton, he punched one and I'm trying to think of other cases and I couldn't, I've since found a number like that. But this was 1994 about, so there wasn't as much information as there is now. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this lady's telling me the truth. I know she is. I talked to her face to face. I went over and over and over her case. I still know her. She's a great friend. She's in Australia now. But I was having a hard time wrapping my head around that particular incident. <laughs> and then, and this is so interesting to me because people say, you know, I got this really strong impulse to run outside. It was irresistible. Or like, I knew they were coming. I just felt it. I got that. I got this incredible irresistible impulse to run under the roof of my condo. <laughs> this was in Canoga Park, uh, Southern California. So I did. I grabbed my glasses because I am nearsighted. Uh, I will use them for driving. I don't legally need to, you know, I've got pretty good vision. Uh, but I grabbed them for some weird reason and ran under the roof of the condo, which is against the rules. <laughs> You're not allowed to go up there. And I don't, I'm a good boy. <laughs> I don't go up there. Why would I? Uh, and there I am up on the roof of the condo where I'm not supposed to be. You know, this is a three story condo. I had a third story unit 
And I'm up there, you know, with my glasses on, looking to the north across the little LA River there. There's a parking lot, the LA River, and some apartment buildings a couple hundred feet away. And I'm up there maybe 10 or 20 seconds, Jim, uh, no longer than that. And right where I was looking, this UFO appears. <laughs> and it was a bright, fiery kind of oval, like a disc orange yellow and big you know i'm saying well big ish from there you know a couple hundred feet away i would say probably 10 or 20 feet across uh, just judging because i could see the palm trees that it was hovering right above and it blasts me with this message <laughs> and that was so cool because a message mm, that gave me a personal message that had a message for me and uh, it wasn't so much in English, but it was a, a knowing or a thought. I don't even know how to describe it, but they spoke to me. And it's funny because you interview people and they're like, ah, they told me this or that. I'm like, was it in words? And they're like, well, no, I just knew what they were saying. Like, don't be afraid. No, that wasn't the message they gave me. I wasn't afraid. I was thrilled. I'm like, wow, look at this. And the message was, hi. It's us, we're, we'll call her Wendy. We're Wendy's ETs. You don't believe, she's telling the truth. Watch this, <laughs> we'll prove it to you. That was the message. And this darn thing, you know, which is standing still in the sky, pretty much, it's wavering a little, goes back and forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, and starts getting lower and lower and lower until it's actually behind the trees. So I can see exactly where it is. It's in front of the building behind the trees. Uh, and I mean, that's got to be what 30 feet up tops and disappears. So it was brief. It was, well, 15 seconds is a long time when you're looking at something like this. And yeah, it spoke to me. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that just went, whoa. I called her up the next day. I'm like, you're not going to believe it. She's like, what? She says, well, you, I'm, I'm like, your UFO showed up. She's like, it did. I'm like, yeah, and it told me you're telling the truth. She's like, well, I what do you mean I'm telling the truth? Of course I'm telling the truth. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you are, but um, they wanted me to know for sure. And she ended up taking me out again for probably my best sighting ever. One of them, certainly. Because I told her, I'm like, I'd really like to see a UFO. And she's like, you just saw one, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't ready. <laughs> I did not expect that. She's like, okay, well, because she's like, I'm in telepathic contact with them regularly. When someone tells you that, you're like, oh, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> but I had to believe her because they showed themselves to me and told me flat out, this is real. Showed me, proved it. So I'm like, okay, can you call them? You know, I would love to do this again. And she's like, all right, I'll see if I can. They might not, they might. But she calls me up a week or two later and says, okay. <laughs> They want us to drive over to this place that along the 210 freeway in Pasadena. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, at this date on this night, at this time. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I went with her and my sister-in-law, Christine Kisara, who does the covers for my books. And I've worked with her real closely. She's an artist. And her son, my nephew, James, <laughs> who was like 14 or something, but they wanted to come along, so why not? So all four of us park on right off the freeway, which you're not allowed to do. I'm like, 
Wendy, seriously, this is kind of breaking the law. She's like, well, this is where they told it. It's the park. It was a pretty rural area, you know, in the mountains along the freeway <laughs> late at night. And uh, there, she's like, see that dirt road, that fire break? I'm like, yeah. She says, that's where they want us to go. So I'm like, okay. So we hiked up this little mountain. It's, it was a fairly strenuous hike, really. It just took us 20 minutes, a half hour. And me and her were walking side by side and got to the top before Christy and J James, who were a couple of hundred yards behind us. We had just gotten to the top. I have a camera around my neck, by the way. And uh, she screams at me, look. And I can see, you know, her face is lighting up. She's looking right beyond over my shoulder. She grabs my shoulders and spins me around. Uh -huh. look. I'm like, she didn't need to point because right in front of us. Let me see. I'm going to say about 20 feet away. It could have been 30, maybe even 40. But no, I'm going to say it's about 20 feet away. Was this enormous sphere? It was about the size of a house, a small house, and it was covered in golden light. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Really, it was a kind of light that's hard to describe because it wasn't normal. It was scintillating, and yeah, I guess that's the best way of putting it: scintillating, scintillating golden lights, just breathtaking and silent. And it was about. 15 feet off the ground, 10 to 20 feet. Wow. Yeah, close, <laughs> totally silent. And I could not take my eyes off of it. I couldn't move. I wasn't paralyzed or anything. I'm just awestruck, completely forgot about my camera, <laughs> which is such a shame because that would have been amazing. Uh, and it stayed there for about 10 seconds and then started to slowly move at about three miles and then five miles and then 10 miles per hour. And then this darn thing just went zip about two miles away and I could see it curling around the mountain and it moved so fast it left a tracer of light. And we're just jumping up and down, losing our minds over this thing. Man, that was such a good sighting. Wait, were you able, <laughs> I know you had your camera on you, but were you able to get that picture? Were you able to snap the picture? Or would no, it happen too quick? no. <laughs> too so quick. Embarrassing. I'm so I'm so <laughs> Honestly, a shame. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get it. <laughs> I don't know when you see. I don't know if you've had a sighting, but when yeah, you see I did. You're you're not thinking. Oh, no. let's get a picture. You're looking at that, and you're going through your mind thinking, "What is this?" You know, you you don't immediately jump to UFO. You want to try to categorize it, and you. I mean, I couldn't miss. I could not take my eyes off of it. Yeah. Um, it was just unbelievable i yeah i'd like to think i'm a little more prepared these days but i still have never managed to personally <laughs> take a picture <laughs> even though i've had a number of sightings yeah i i mean i i saw one in 1994 that's when i had my ufo i had an alien encounter in 77 i had a you i talk about it all the time on the podcast i i had a, a when i was a kid i didn't know what it was it took me a long time to figure out what that was and then uh, it came in the bed, it showed up in the bedroom in the middle of the night. And then, as uh, they do, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was the devil, like, because that's the best. I didn't know that there was a such thing as this going on back then. Uh, and I have a question regarding that, but I'll, before I'll, I just want to say in 1994, I saw an object while I was on a fishing trip uh, at a, a private. It was a, my buddy calls me up. We, go, we went on this fishing trip in 
Hazleton, Pennsylvania, near, near Hazleton, Pennsylvania, a place called Beach Mountain Lakes. Just to make a long story short, this big object shows up with three big lights lined up on it. No sound whatsoever. It was as big as a house. It came, it, it moved in, in ways that aircraft, normal human-made aircraft can't move. It was only hovering two and a half stories off the ground. Uh, it was came within 20 feet of me. I was standing there looking at this thing. And wow. I, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, and that's... But yeah, I so yeah, I've seen something, and that was the only, you know, you can live your whole life. I think some, you know, some people. I think it's unfortunate. I, I you take for granted when when people see something, uh, have an encounter, and or they see it. The people who didn't, you have. I feel bad for them in a way because <laughs> because they're because I, I I guess because I've I, I I've had this experience, and I know that it's real because I've seen it with my own eyes. But then people who who haven't. It, it, it might be hard for them to believe this because they just haven't. So, I mean, if, I, I take it for granted. I think that if anybody was to do the research and read the books and all the evidence and, and they would know, they would know that there's something going on. I, be, I believe that, but I, I, maybe for some people, it still would be hard. They need to see it with their own eyes. And that's why I think it's unfortunate for some that haven't experienced it. Yeah. Um, I totally get it. There's nothing like seeing it yourself. It changes everything. Yeah. I mean, it's important not to believe everything everyone's telling you, but at some point you have to be, you know, scientific about it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There really is. Yeah, there's some stories. I mean, you have to, I always believe that there's a, there has to be a percentage of, you know, even some of the best cases, for all we know, there could be a, a percentage of them that are, that could be hoaxes or misidentifications or something, but there's no way that all of them are. And there's no, in fact, I, I know the thing that I saw could not have been made of this earth. There's just no way. There's that object. There's no way. I, I wanted to, the question I wanted to ask you, uh, what kind of aliens only have three fingers? <laughs> yeah, that turns up. Isn't it interesting? Because there's three fingered, four fingered, five fingered, and six fingered. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, so I find that really interesting. The three fingered grays are... From what I've understood, you know, usually very short. We're talking three to four feet and probably are the AI grays, artificial intelligence, biological android types. Uh, and these are ones that are working with the sort of mid-sized grays or even short ones or taller ones, but which generally are described as having four or five or six fingers. Uh, but the three-fingered grays, from what I understand, you know, and this is, you know, still, I mean, there's still a lot of room for research here. There really is. This is a new subject. Uh, from, yeah, what I understand are AI grays. I talked to Dolly Safran, who I've mentioned earlier about this. She's like, yeah, they are AI grays. Whitley Strieber talked about this. Uh, he said he saw them stacked up like cordwood on board a craft. So I asked Dolly about that. I'm like, do, do these things shut off? Are they alive? She's like, no, no, they're not alive. They're not born. They don't die. They're constructed. They have three fingers. And yeah, you can switch them off and they have rooms that they store them in. Uh, so that's probably what that is because they, those are the ones that come down and pick people up and bring them to the craft for an, an exam or a checkup. The three-fingered like, ones. Yes. And this is why people will say, like, well, they seem to have no emotions. They were just looking at me like a bug. And yeah, these guys aren't, you know, emotional as we would think of it. Uh, 
So I think that's why some people are like, these guys had no emotions. Whereas a lot of people I've talked to have talked to, you know, we've had experiences with the Grays said, well, I had the most loving experience of my life. It was like holding my kid for the first time or getting married. It was absolutely a wonderful experience. Uh, I've talked to people like, oh, it was the worst experience ever. I'm like, what happened to you? This bullet stood there and looked at me and its eyes were evil. It looked right through me. I'm like, well, what did it do? I'm like, well, that's all I remember. I'm like, well, how do you know it's evil? Just by the way it was looking at me, I could tell. I'm like, oh, okay, but you're okay. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> so this is, you know, there, how... So you're telling me, so when, when, when I, 1977 was when I had an encounter uh, with uh -huh. one of the, one of the beings. And, and all I could tell you is that whatever this thing was, it had only had three fingers on its hand and it, the fingers were like thick at the base and they came to almost points. It was a strange looking hand with a smallish arm. And uh, so you're telling me that that was. Uh, uh, may have been. Yeah. May I, have I, been a, ro ro a, a robot. Yeah, I can't say for sure. I'm not sure I would call it a robot as much as a biological android, but yeah, in essence, yeah. <laughs> a biological robot? Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's what that was. And, and also accompanied with that was a, a humming sound. It was a buzzing sound that never let up. It was, it's uh, it, like it could have sounded like bees or a transformer mixture. I, I, I never heard anything like it before or since, but during this whole 20 minute event, at, at the same time, there was this sound, this loud, overpowering sound that somewhat muffled my voice when I tried to scream, when I was screaming in horror for my parents and, and, and whatnot. So what's that sound? Is that from the, is that possible that that was a, the, the flying saucer or UFO or craft of some sort hovering right up? Because I was in the attic when this was going on. I used to sleep in the attic when I was a kid in this house that I grew up in. Was that, is that what that is? Is that, is that the sound of a craft or is that something else? What, 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 no, that's, what that's the sound of the craft. I've heard it a million times, and it's not exactly like a transformer. It's a little more musical. People describe it as like a refrigerator hum, almost a, a th thrumming, a throbbing. It's, it's got a low bass to it. Yes. Uh, but so yeah. there's a lot of this. Oh, yeah. That's very, very common. People it was like, mm, yeah. and it never lets up. Exactly. Yeah, that's the craft. That's their them on sort of battery power some oh that's so so that's the other question i mean sometimes they're making sound and, you know the craft that i saw in 94 was completely silent there was no noise whatsoever but then you hear cases like the aerial school where some of the kids said they heard a buzzing sound or like a transformer sound so that's why i'm i'm starting to think that that's what i was hearing too so that's so yeah. even the ones that say oh it's totally silent uh probably they do give off a little bit of a whooshing noise or a whirring. Some, um, so I think from a certain distance, you can't hear it. But at some point, yeah, when they start up their engines, it, it does make that sort of thrumming and whirring noise. Mm. So maybe I guess, I guess I'm wondering when I was hearing that, maybe that they were, they, I just got abducted because I never got hypnotized either. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to remember that uh, for I mean, for all guys, only a kid. I don't want to be relive something that might have been horrifying or terrible. You know, I wouldn't. You know, so, uh, so I'm just wondering. I guess maybe that's the explanation then, possibly that it was uh, they were bringing me back, <laughs> and I will woke yeah. up. Well, if, 
Yeah, if, if they're in your room, <laughs> yeah, you're, you've probably been taken on board. If you have a craft that comes within 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet, that's more than a sighting. This is what I've come to realize. Uh, and if you have a sighting period, they are showing themselves to you intentionally. And they absolutely know it. They know you're looking at them. And people have talked about this, like, they'll will get a feeling of being watched. This is very common among contactees. Like, I always feel like someone's looking at me. Um, but yeah, that if you have a, any entity coming into your bedroom, dollars to donuts, you've been on board. Uh, so then, that, so then, all those years later, when me and my buddy saw that craft uh, during that night, it was a nighttime fishing trip. So that means they knew we were there. It wasn't it wasn't by accident they showed up? You don't think? Don't think so. You know, there are pe such things as a, a, a craft way up there if it's several thousand feet and it just goes by and it's on its merry way. Um, they're still showing themselves because they have the ability to cloak themselves 100%. Uh, and I've seen this over and over again. I, I mean, I talked to one kid. He was with his friends. There was four of them and only he could see it. <laughs> he almost lost his mind because like, it's right there. <laughs> they could not see it. Whitley Strieber had this experience. I've heard this over and over again. There's a Navy medic I interviewed, Kevin Kamen, a great witness, a trained observer, saw you up on a Navy ship, which pulled him on board. And he ran around the deck of that ship, like pointing it out, and everyone thought he was crazy. He's like, it's right there. It's bigger than the ship. You cannot see that. <laughs> uh, so they can show themselves to who they want to. And yeah, I think the exception might be like if there's it's way the heck up there and it's a giant crowd of people and it's just going by um i think that they are still knowing that they're visible but they might not necessarily know that each and every person who's looking at them is looking at them but yeah if you're in a small group of people or if there's craft is have any height lower than a thousand feet it's absolutely an intentional purposeful event they know exactly what they're doing they're on top of things We'll never be able to shoot these things down, by the way. It's, these balloon sh shoot downs are not genuine UFOs no. by any means because uh, they fly circles around our missiles. I mean, there's nothing that we can shoot at them that can come anywhere close to har harming them in any way. Well, I, I did have a third incident in uh I lived in Hawaii for two years from 2007 to 2009. And in 2007, I had this dog. Uh, it was a pretty wild dog. Uh, it was, I was, I just had it. I didn't have it long. And, you know, she was really hard to control. And I, you know, I was working at a newspaper at the time and I lived in this house in the middle of nowhere in this jungle, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, the one day it was like a Saturday and I took the dog outside and I, I, I was going to cut the, I didn't want to leave her inside because if I went outside and start, you had a weed whack. You couldn't use a lawnmower. It was like a rough like terrain, like lava rock terrain. And the house was built on, all the houses in this area were built on stilts because it was a tropical rainforest. So you could walk right underneath the house. So I was, I, I wanted to bring her outside with me. And uh, while I was weed whacking, I didn't want her leaving the house because she would tear it up because she, she would have wanted to come outside with me. So I brought her outside and I had this long chain and I wrapped it around one of the stilts that held the house up. And I clicked the one end into the, into the one of the links and uh, 
and this and I started weed whacking and the dog was going crazy because of the sound of the weed whacker and I I joked around with her hey no, no no don't worry about it it's not a you know don't worry about it and but didn't that didn't help and next thing you know I started cutting some more I turned around for five seconds and I hit a couple of weeds underneath the house and when I turned back around she was gone the the, the dog was completely gone along with the chain I just figured she was scared from the sound of the weed whacker and uh, so I started looking around you know and I lived basically there was hardly there was nobody that lived around me it was you know. For the most part, uh, and and the and this jungle was like low to the ground. It only came up to your like knee. Like it wasn't like you're like in a in a jungle like you would see in in the, in Africa or something like that. This was low to the ground type vegetation, but it was really really uh, you couldn't really walk through it. It would be too difficult. And so you could see all over it. And I'm looking, but I'm looking on in, on the perimeter in there, seeing if she was hiding in there. I walked out this dirt road to this other dirt road that led to my house and I'm looking around calling for the dog. She's not coming. Uh, and I'm looking around for her for like an hour. I can't find her. So I'm start. I started thinking, well, maybe she oh. ran all, all the way to the highway because you know, highway is like a couple, two or three, four miles away. And I was thinking, what if she ran to the highway with that chain on her? And maybe she's in the, the somebody picked her up and brought her to the shelter or something because it was a nearby animal shelter. So I actually drove to the animal shelter to see if somebody picked her up, and they they said no. And I went back to the house and I'm looking for her. I could not find her, and it was like two and a half hours she was missing, and I I I couldn't find her. And I finally gave up and I sat down on the steps. And right when I sat down on the steps, she rose up right in front of me out of the in this in this dense brush, and. She came walking out of the bush, and the chain was still this long chain was still attached to her. And it was in an area where she rose where I had just looked like four or five times that she wasn't there. But what was the strangest thing was I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, she was hiding. But then when I saw the other end of the chain, I saw that that loop, it was still in the loop on the other end, and the link was still attached into, you know, there was just no way that that was possible. So I thought, well, maybe there's a space somewhere on this, on this, uh, uh, on this uh, post where I had her tied to. And I looked and there's nothing. And I thought, well, maybe it wasn't this one. Maybe it was somewhere else. But everywhere I looked, there was nowhere this where this could where that loop could have went went through. She disappeared right in front of me. And, it, and I didn't know what to think of it at the time. And as time went on, I thought, well, this could have been alien. I, I, I can't explain it any other way because there's no way that that other end of the chain that were the where I had it tied around the the stilt could have there was no space for that loop to go through how could it still be connected like that I, I never could have come up with an explanation and as time went on uh, and I saw stories of Skinwalker Ranch where strange things happened there I started thinking well maybe it was aliens that did something there a plane game or for whatever maybe they abducted the dog for a couple hours and then returned her I don't know I mean, it seems to me that if it was, then they it just shows the the power of invisibility that they that these beings possess. I mean, have yeah. you come across stuff like this? I have. Yeah, absolutely. People's dogs will be taken on board. <laughs> they're not where they're supposed to be. Uh, so yeah, I mean that does happen absolutely. And I think sometimes they will do things like that intentionally, as sort of a calling card, uh, and a way of letting a person know like th this happened, you know, because they will put people in bed the wrong way. I don't think they're doing that intentionally or into the wrong bed or outside their house or little things to sort of let a person know they'll drop you from a foot <laughs> above your bed. Boom. Uh, and I think that's sort of probably, I mean, I'm purely speculating here at this point, but that's what it sounds like to me uh, that they did something to sort of let you know. 
Yeah, like, I mean, what did they? I, I guess the, uh, is it's a technology similar to just? I guess basically the same kind of technology, whatever. Or I guess you're saying it's it's some sort of a mind power where you, that allows them to walk through walls, to, uh, basically to pull that chain uh, end of that chain right through the the post without uh, disconnecting it. And and that's I guess that was the that that's what made this whole thing stand. I probably never would have thought if it would have been the chain would have been busted at the at the one end like you know opened up I would never have thought anything but the fact that it was still in the loop just I couldn't understand it. You know, <laughs> this, this is impossible. This can't happen. That went through solid matter it would mean. Uh and, and but they could do that. They could walk through walls like you said. In fact, I think there was one of your videos where you were talking about there was a kid that was that liked walking through walls and had stopped and and you could see these little round balls or some blue looking yeah. balls. Yeah, they have that ability. They can render solid objects permeable. Uh, so I think that's probably what went on there, it sounds like it. Uh, and given the fact that you've had other experiences, I think it adds a level of corroboration or confirmation. If it were a one-off, I'd be like, hmm, no, I don't know. Uh, but it certainly sounds like something happened there. Well, the, the thing that, the one thing uh, I, I, you know, with regard to the things that happened to me, of course, I mean, everybody's different, but I mean, it seems from my viewpoint, it's always a shocker. It's also always a surprise. I've never expected it all of a sudden. There we go. You know, I mean, 1994, and it's all of a sudden we're, we're fishing for a couple hours and all of a sudden this big object just shows up right in front of us, right? And then flies away, you know, then that incident <laughs> in Hawaii, you know, it's like, it's like, whoa. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, I mean, if one of them were to walk through a, my wall right now, I, I might drop might shock me into a heart attack. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I hope not. I'd like to think I that I would not, react yeah. <laughs> with, you know, <laughs> calmly. Uh, but you never know until it happens. And it's, yeah, having had a number of just simple sightings and even, you know, close-up ones, uh, you don't always react the way you think you would. <laughs> and uh, it's absolutely shocking. Every time I've ever seen a UFO, I'm so thrilled. It's always been very positive for me. I've never had any fear associated with any of this. I think it's thrilling. I mean, I think it's really cool. I'm convinced that ETs aren't here to hurt us because how easy would it be for them to do that? We would really know by now if we were going to end up on their dinner table or be alien slaves or what have you. <laughs> no, I don't think they're here to take over at all. There's no good evidence, I don't think, to support that. Um, I, and yeah, I just did a podcast and I, I want to see if you agree with this. I, I, I made the argument that the, this cover up, this ongoing cover up, but basically the, I think the, 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 the people that affects the most, that has the most detrimental effect on is actually children because of the cover up. And when these things happen to a kid, parents don't, some parents might not believe it. And, mm. and, and, and I, I, is, is that, is that one of the, I think that might be the biggest reason why we need to end this cover up because I, I think about my own experiences, just being confused and wondering what the hell happened. You know, my mom and dad didn't believe me back in the seventies when that thing was in the room, even though I knew in my mind, it really happened. And you get to a point where nobody believes me. Right. And then you just go and you wonder what the hell happened. And it, it, wouldn't it be better if there was a disclosure finally, just, for the at least for the sake of the of children, because I think that has a terrible effect on them, especially when and then they could be if, if if other kids find out they could get made fun of in school and all. You, there's just so many issues I see with it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, 
I really would encourage parents to take their children's stories a little more seriously. Uh, and sometimes they do, particularly if they've had their own experiences. So, uh, but I, the thing is contact, particularly if someone's, you know, a contactee and they're gonna be taken on board, it almost always starts at age, you know, three, four, five, six, probably sooner than that, but that's when they start to remember. <laughs> and uh, so they will, children do are having these experiences and ha are having grays come into their bedrooms. And when they tell their parents, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, the parents say, ah, oh, you just had a nightmare. You're dreaming. And uh, it's children are left with no recourse, uh, with no one to talk to. And the ridicule factor is much better than it is, you know, was in the past. Now people are talking about this and taking it seriously. And there's quite a bit of information out there, uh, but there aren't really a whole lot of books for children. There's uh, children still have a real hard time with this, I think. So I agree. Yeah, it would be, this should be taught in schools, frankly. It really there should be classes. I think it's starting in elementary schools. It should be taught. I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The same way. At least let people know that you know, we are not alone in this universe. And here's how we know, you know, because look at all these waves of sightings we've had over the centuries, literally centuries, but certainly since 1947, there's been incident after incident after incident after incident enough to prove to in a court of law easy. Yeah, it should be taught in schools. Um, I've taught, you know, not in schools, but classes about this. Uh, and I've interviewed children um, every now and then. Parents will be like, would you talk to my kid? And I'm pretty reluctant to because they're kids, you know, and that's very sensitive. But if the parent's present, um, yeah, I will do that. And children will describe things. Now, just recently that happened. I didn't talk to the child, but I interviewed this gentleman who had an experience at age seven uh, and he was taken on board with his mom and his mom had an experience at age seven and his daughter had an experience at age seven. His daughter is now full grown, but her daughter, his granddaughter is seven years old and recently had an experience. That's four generations of people who all had their experience at age seven and had really no one to talk to about it. So, but the, except for the last one, who was able to talk to her grandpa, who basically, you know, gave her the comfort of saying, you know, this, whether this is real or not, you're gonna be fine. Just, you know, don't be afraid. You have no reason to be afraid. So she had some support system. So I think we're moving towards that. But it sure would be nice if our governments were truthful and transparent and forthcoming and honest. It's not that hard. Telling the truth is pretty darn easy. It's a lot easier than lying. So I don't, I don't fully understand why they don't just do it. It's for the good of everyone involved. They could get a lot more money, a lot more support, a lot more efforts. They already have an unlimited budget. Who are we kidding? They can spend all our tax dollars they want on studying this. But still, I think it would be easier for everyone involved if this was just handled openly. Uh, speaking of liars, what do you think about, what's your opinion on debunkers constantly going? I mean, they're they're just always at work. It seems. I mean, you go on Twitter. You, I don't know if you check out UFO Twitter. It's a it's a it's a hellscape a lot of times with, <laughs> and, and, and it's just people just constantly 
trying to come up with prosaic explanations when when it seems to me they're just being disingenuous and it's just I, I, I that's another reason I want this disclosure to, to happen one way or the other whether it's forced by the aliens or somebody with the in the government finally just to end that just to end the uh, lies and the horse dump boy what a mire social media is it is just horrendous it's funny i was watching saturday night live and they brought on a character dressed up as the devil or something it's like what makes you still believe in hell he's like youtube comments that, that made me laugh out loud because it's true people can you know behind the mask of an avatar go ahead and say whatever they want and i honestly think some people are just you know just pure being difficult they're just contrary. They're just doing that to get a rise out of people. And some, I think, are actually, honest to God, paid disinformants. I think this is their job. And I think there's researchers out there, and I'm not going to name names unless they're deceased, like Donald Menzel, paid <laughs> disinformant. Phil Class, who are you kidding? These guys know for sure this was real. We know they know. And they said, no, it's not real. You're lying. <laughs> Mm, no, and there's researchers present today, and I've got a few of them on my naughty list. I'm like, shame on you. Um, I've heard some researchers backtracking on Roswell. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> After claiming it's real, and then suddenly they're like reversing their opinions. I'm like, who do you think you're kidding? I know, I know your game. This is a common disinformation ploy. I know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, this is horrendous. There are professional debunkers out there who know full well this is real and are still playing this game. And look at the CGI crap. That's just no other word for it. All over Facebook. Oh, Facebook is hard. I mean, uh, there's so many fake. That's another problem. I mean, there's the debunkers on one side, but then you have the, the hoaxers. There is a lot of hoaxing going on, and, yeah. and you don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, I don't know. It's really hard. It's Unless you're live, somebody's live streaming something from somewhere, I guess it's going to get harder as time goes on, I think, and that, that's going to become a problem because people aren't going to believe videos because why should they? I mean, unless you have – I think if there was a major – again, if there was a major event like another Phoenix Lights or another Stephenville, Texas, or uh, what was right. that one from the 1950 uh, – that was a big one out there. I can't remember what state it was in. New Mexico. The Farmington incident. Oh, yeah. That was a big event. You did something on that one, too. Um, yeah, I don't even trust people's... I mean, if you're not going to stand behind your footage, I don't want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. You don't even know who did these. <laughs> who put these out there? It's, like, there's some videos and stuff that I, I knew were fake right off the bat. For instance, I just want to point this out. Like, I thought... I knew that that alien a roswell alien from the 95 96 when that i knew it was fake when because I, I could tell just by the way the film looked like film from 1940s would have been all beat up and stuff but this looked like it was brand new there would have been like dirt and damage and, and hairs and everything else yeah. on it the alien the, autopsy is that what you're the talking alien about? autopsy i knew it was fake <laughs> from the beginning it took that ray santilli like 10 years before they finally got me yeah it was a fake yeah that's a good example of disinformation because that yeah. essentially is true we know this happened the Roswell, yeah, autopsies most certainly happened, but that video, that film was not part of it. That was its made content was true, but the actual film footage was fake. So it's just so unfortunate because that's so clever disinformation, misinformation to to release true content completely fake. <laughs> 
totally faked, but what in its essence is true. So how yeah. do you separate that? I mean, this is why it's so difficult, I think, to get progress moving forward in this field, because these guys are putting forth, because whoever did that, that took money. You know, that oh, was yeah. a little setup that took a, you know, it, it's not cheap to do all this stuff that took cost many thousands of dollars to put together. Uh, probably more than that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Fake, 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 fake. Yeah, I, I knew it was fake the second I saw it. Um, but like regarding those big incidents like that, like if, if we had another one of those with like we talked about earlier in, uh, during this discussion, if we had another one of those, there'd be people, it, it could possibly, and if it lasts long enough, it'd be, it'd be getting live streamed from all different vantage points. And I, that would be, that could be the end game like right there. Another Phoenix Lights, I think it's over. Yeah, there's been a, a few far. of those. There was the solar eclipse in Mexico in 91, I think it was. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, that was. Mexico City, this little silver craft hovered for like two hours. And I think there was like 20 different videotapes from people. And Mexico, the Mexican government had to say, you know, we can't explain this because there was 20 videotapes. <laughs> they triangulated this thing. They knew how big it was, how high up it was. There's, you can, it's still hard to find these videotapes online, but you can. And another piece of footage I like a lot, even though it's singular, is the turkey footage. Oh, yeah. Which was, you know, what was that, 2007, 8, and 9, I think, uh, which the Turkey government could not debunk. And they, that thing was studied up and down. And yeah, that's good footage. There were experts from four countries that looked at that and deemed that it was authentic. Yeah. And they were very up, they were very, uh, uh, they didn't believe it at first. And, but it, after they looked at it, they're like, well, it's real. It wasn't fake. That's not puppets. It's not CGI. It's not special effects of any sort. It's just an anomaly, and we can't explain it. That that's what was the answer. We can't explain it. Yeah, there is some really good footage out there. Unfortunately, a lot of stuff today I don't trust because of CGI and yep. Photoshop, and it's getting easier and easier for an amateur to fake stuff. But I th I agree with you, Jim. It's just going to take one big incident. And there's going to be enough people with cell cameras, and enough people. Who are willing to step forward and put their name to it sign an affidavit if necessary take a lie detector test whatever it takes uh, and then we're done no more yeah. cover-up or at least you know the governments can cover up for all they want but who needs them if we know it's real and that's yeah. why i think they're having to step forward to some degree because if they don't start telling the truth Go away. We don't want to hear anything you have to say anymore because we know you're lying. We know you know, you know, we know we, you know. I mean, we can go back and forth with this. But it's become a farce, a ridiculous. It's an open conspiracy at this point. More people believe our government is lying about this and covering up than don't. Well, most people believe in UFOs. A lot of people have seen them. We're already at the point where disclosure has truly happened. It just needs to be publicized and accepted. And, you know, let's move forward with trying to, you know, deal with this in a more open, compassionate, truthful way. Uh, and stop the lies. The lies are just, ugh. Well, okay. What's, what's going to be the, uh, in your opinion, uh, what's going to be the end result if, some a big event happens the the mainstream media 
finally acknowledges the reality that there's extraterrestrial presence here and there's no more denying it what's what's going to what's going to change about human beings what's going to change about our existence here on this planet um well as an optimist i would like to say it will bring people together and we can accept this and move forward with studying it and having open official contact as a realist i think we're going to be dealing with a probably a false flag <laughs> government operation where they take their TR-3Bs and reverse engineered alien tech and stage an alien invasion and start doing horrible things to all humanity. Uh, that's the buzz in the UFO community. I think that's what we're looking at right now. I'm really worried about it. Uh, so I don't know how this is all going to roll out, but I think at some point uh, disclosure, as I said, is inevitable. I think open official contact's inevitable. This is a real phenomenon. They are out there in large numbers. Space is not empty. At some point, you know, there could be a worldwide landing. And then what are the governments going to do? You know, the, then it's out of their hands. It's like, screw you. <laughs> we shouldn't even really need governments um, at all. I mean, honestly, we should be able to get along, but we, we're not doing that. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible for these beings to to pull a stunt like, say, is there to, to communicate with the every person on this planet at the same time through via some telepathic technology? Is it? Yeah. You think that? I, I, is I think that, that possible? Yeah. Well, let me just put it this way: having interviewed a lot of contactees, many of them get that message that at some point there will be a worldwide landing, and they been either seen this through dreams, gotten the message directly, or got the impression, or been shown this, the sky filling with UFOs, landings taking everywhere, people being pulled on board. And I'll just reference uh, Dolly Saffron again in my book, Symmetry, because she talks about this. There's been a lot of warnings of upcoming existential crises, this sort of thing, environmental, a social collapse, a worldwide disaster. Um, and she talks about the sun micronoving, you know, the CMEs, coronal mass ejections, knocking down the electrical grid and pushing us back to the Stone Age. She's not the only one talking about this. There's a number of people. And th there could be a point where this planet is not, is not able to uh, sustain life. And yeah, ETs will come down in large numbers and scoop us off. Uh, and... This may sound like science fiction, but prove me wrong. You know, look into this. Look into the science of the sun, and you'll see that there's, it's not as stable as you might think. So, yeah, that could very well happen, uh, and something to consider to be ready for. Uh, we should all have enough food and water to survive a year, two years, uh, because it's entirely possible that the electrical grid could go down. And if you look at the history of our governments, they're not trying to sustain the population. They're, it's the opposite. They're decimating people in large numbers. How many, uh, what do they call it, uh, genocides do need to take place before we realize that this is purposeful and that governments are, to an extent, cooperating with each other to annihilate large groups of people? Like, look at the Irish potato famine. There was plenty of food. None of those people needed to die. <laughs> it was orchestrated. 
And there's famine after famine after famine that if you look behind the scenes at it, it's like, what is going on here? You know, what about all these diseases that are spreading across the population and killing millions of people? I don't mean to be a doom and gloomer because I'm not, but the way we're living is not sustainable. ETs are losing their minds over it. This is why the modern age of UFOs began in 1947, right when we got the ability to completely extinguish ourselves. They started taking people on board in large numbers and warning you about nuclear proliferation. That's not a coincidence. I'm not the first researcher to talk about this. The modern age of UFOs coinciding exactly with the atomic age because the ETs are like, all right, here they go again. They're going to completely destroy themselves. Let's do what we can. You know, they're going to have to do the work, but we can at least inject some information and guidance and healing and teaching to the degree that they can. <coughs> but this is ridiculous. You know, they, we're, we're once again in a very delicate place in human history. This is probably not the first time that there's been an advanced civilization that has completely annihilated itself. And we're on the verge of doing it again. Well, that's <laughs> in a way, it's a positive note, though. They're, I guess the way to look at this is that it's a, uh, they're here for good reason, and they're not here to people who are afraid of them. Maybe they should think what your your message is is that uh, you don't believe that they're they're here for any kind of uh, sinister purpose. That they're here more to, more, more or less to help us. Uh, yeah, help exactly. us UFOs are good news. This is great news for us. And if you look at the fact that we've lived for hundreds upon hundreds of years with wars and disease and famine and cover-ups and greed and corruption and disease and divisiveness, um, that doesn't have to be that way. And it might not be that way. Uh, if this event happens or when it happens, we could start again over on another world. And science fiction is that sounds. I'm looking forward to it. I think that would be awesome. Um, I don't want to live this way anymore. Who wants to be a wage slave working your whole life just to afford a house that you can't afford? You know, it's ridiculous. How much does a car cost? <laughs> How much does a house used to cost? I mean, it's ridiculous. People are, can't even afford to feed themselves. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. Food grows out of the ground. People should not be starving. And meanwhile, people are killing each other. Or it's never The wars never end. The chaos and the murder all the time. It just, it, I, yeah, it's, yep, it's fully bad. orchestrated too. And that's what's so sad and just frustrating. So it doesn't need to be that way. I th think people are good at heart. Most people are the same all over the world. They just want to live and have a family and have a good time. You know, food and music and dance and um, loving each other and learning. That's what life should be about, not struggling to exist and wondering why you have to have a license just to go outside. Jeez, you can't go outside. It costs $100 just to get to the store between your car and the tires and the gas and the license and <laughs> the food. <laughs> it costs $100, $200 each day to just live. Well, uh, I guess we're going to, I guess we could, should close it up. I think we've been talking for what? the about almost two hours <laughs> and uh it's been fantastic preston and uh i really appreciate you joining me today and, and talking about all these things it was really good it was really interesting um and uh, i just want to i wanted to let my uh all my listeners on the pot all my followers on the podcast and all my uh 
subscribers on YouTube, if if you haven't seen uh, Preston's YouTube channel, you got to check it out. I mean, once you start watch one video, you'll find yourself you're just going to end up power uh, binge watching like I did. It's just it's it's just he has so many good, interesting videos and it's all it's like he delivers one story after another after another after another after another in machine gun fashion it just it's fantastic and uh i i i, I can't say enough about it i really i really love your youtube channel and uh i and and then also you have all these books that i'm gonna have to, i'm gonna have to get busy with 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 these books i i'm, I'm way behind so 30 <laughs> books 30 books so some of them are out of print now uh so they're collector's items now i don't know but yeah, uh, so I'll I'll leave links for his YouTube channel and also for his uh, Amazon page and anything else I, that's that's pertinent, uh, so you could check out everything that Preston has to offer. And believe me, you're gonna love his YouTube channel. And Preston, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure and an honor. I really appreciate it.